All right, everybody, welcome back. We are the Five Hole Taxi Squad, a Five Hole Fantasy Hockey Podcast presentation. We are back on December the 4th. Holy crap, it's December. To talk <laughs> week eight quick fares and take you deep within the van cab on some NHL perspective and fantasy hockey perspective uh, through the first eight weeks of the season. So, Jay, why don't we, as I distract myself with my god it's december why don't we start up the fairs and let's get into it Welcome, welcome, welcome back into the Five Hole Taxi Squad. We are your hosts tonight for Week Eight Quick Fares. Craig, Jay, and Maddie K back in the van cab tonight. How we doing, gentlemen? On December the fourth, what's going on? How are we? Oh, it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time in the world of hockey. My goodness, I'm. I like these classic weeks, man. I like the weeks where it's just Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Oh, man, none of that other garbage with Thanksgiving weekend with zero games. Oh, terrible. Feels good to be back, fellas. Back in the quick fair saddle. You know, another quiet, a quieter night as we record tonight. But as we were talking offline, another night that just solidifies my pure and utter gut-wrenching hatred for goalies. Just two complete flip sides of the coin in the Arizona and Washington game. You know, just just let it all just up, starting off the second period. But my what, like my God, a late start by Lindgren. Oh no, he came in for Kemper. So that's why I got confused and had him in a couple of lineups and should have pulled him. So Kemper and him have both been lit up by the Arizona Coyotes. Well, Ingram on the other side is posting a shutout. Goalies continue to baffle and amaze me of how much they are just an absolute shit show when it comes to fantasy hockey. Shout out to our boy Allen, though, called Ingram a number of weeks ago and that guy has been on fire he's hiding in plain sight the whole season we were talking just before we signed on alan absolutely nailed that for you listeners out there and if you were listening or you had an opportunity to grab him early and if he's still out there on your wire go get him now because before your other managers do wake up the arizona coyotes are actually playing good hockey bolstered by dare I say, great goaltending. So this is definitely a guy you want if you are looking at a black hole of goalie disaster on your hockey, on your fantasy hockey team. You want to go grab Ingram as soon as possible if he's out there. He's 65% rostered, so he's still available in like a quarter of leagues. So definitely somebody to just go check on. We might, we could throw, that's our first hot guy check-in as we kind of roll through the quick fares. Yeah, I'd say that's a hot guy, right? 925 save percentage. He's like top five in the league. Did I see this right? He's starting, this is his fifth straight game starting. That's correct. They were starting the season 1A1B and Ingram was not the 1A. Well, this is a situation where somebody actually steps up and takes the net, right? 30 points save percentage difference will do that for you as well. Yeah, so there's your first Hawkeye check-in for uh, Week 8 Quick Fairs. But that's what we're here to do tonight, gentlemen, is to just give the people a little bit of fun and some deeper dives into a few topics uh, that we find interesting here on the Van Cab and 
take take them around that from our thought process and how it can help their fantasy hockey teams and how as we proceed you know we're now past the quarter mark in the season here or just right around that now it's thinking about how to looking at where and how we can strengthen weaker spots on our roster while still looking at schedule maximization and value streaming throughout any given week to try to capture as many wins as possible as we move into now December. And boys, I'd be interested to hear your perspective before we start to dive into some topics tonight is just, I was thinking about this before we came on. To me, December is what we've seen for the first two months of the season becomes reality or we told you so, or what do we want to call that a falsehood, right? You're going to really see what, what what's real and what's not from some of these people that some of the players that are overperforming, some of the players that are underperforming, some of them that are kind of lukewarm over the next three to five weeks of the season is really going to, solidify actually probably up until the Christmas break. So probably the next three weeks is really going to be eye opening for a lot of GMs. I think your buy low windows and a lot of guys are going to slam shut. And some of these guys that are off to like ridiculous starts with high shooting percentages are actually going to come back down to earth. That's generally what happens as teams start to adjust going into the new year. But I'd be interested to hear if any of you have any thoughts on on how you view things coming out of uh, the first quarter of the season. And I, I guess it's out now the dust settles, right? It's what was hot is not to begin the season. And now it's is what we're seeing in the second month of the season real or is it not? Well, I think with goaltenders specifically, you know, in the Ingram example it is works in this spot as well. We were just talking about maybe some of those 50-50 splits that we thought coming in are really starting to separate themselves and we're, we're really seeing a, a 1A and a 1B emerge in some of those areas. So Arizona, I love that. Anybody that's picked up Ingram over the last month, month and a half has been kindly rewarded. There's other volume goalies out there as well. Blackwood's had some really good starts over the last few weeks as well too. So it's nice to see we're getting contributions from some different names, but we're really starting to see some of those trends emerge. I mean, I think the other one as well is Maddie mentioned those shootouts, that classic cowboy style shootouts where two yeah the fireworks shootouts. shootouts where they're just blowing up each other's scoreboard score lines, and there are some immense opportunities. Like you look down at obviously the Edmonton Oilers, they're all pretty owned up, but heck, like look down at. Minnesota, right? Like that team, <laughs> that team still scored 70 goals despite basically not, you know, not or getting like almost any points with 20 points, 22 games. Uh, that team still got tons of room to grow as well. And like they have players that are recently dropped and possibly could be even more owned up and have higher ceilings. Or Ryan Hartman's a great example that comes to mind. And just look for these opportunities throughout. I think uh, Craig mentioned as well, right, before we started recording, right, the Columbus Blue Jackets. They are not great in the standings, but in terms of fantasy relevance, schedule-wise over the past two weeks, but even just guys that can get more run and have that leash and leeway, like Fantilli, right? Even Sean Corrali, just some random guys that you probably might not have assumed would have had a bedded spot on your roster, but they should be. Look at that schedule, look at how they're playing, and heck, look for those fireworks shootout teams. 
Yeah, I think I think that's the main thing now. Is like it's not only assessing your rosters and the weak spots and how you can bolster those, whether that's through value on the waiver or through trades, but it's now really understanding, you know, and we've mentioned a couple of teams with a ton of games left like Ottawa. It's really now understanding where you can go for that value and how to find it and where to mine it from what's now going to be reality versus what was uh, happening, you know, five to six weeks ago. But before we jump into the main topics and I give it to you guys to kind of start that discussion, as we always do, we just want to go around the league um, for anything that might be relevant from an injury standpoint and a storyline standpoint. So we'll start in the infirmary like we always do. Hello, that sounds like a Pig fainting. As usual, the lineup in the injuries continues to uh, either rotate or get longer. I don't really know what to say, but maybe we could talk about it later. But we'll just hit on it. Kel McCarr, he didn't play tonight. He also didn't play in o- overtime, I believe, on Saturday. Is that correct, Matty K? That's correct. He finished the game, but he did not play in the uh, the overtime. And then he didn't play on Sunday. I, I was looking just for an update. There is no update, so we'll leave it as day-to-day. And it doesn't look like it's long-term, uh, but there is no uh, status update on Kale McCarr. Uh, but I had talked to a couple of listeners through the Discord and on Twitter, just like viable replacements while he's out, like while you while you stash him on IR+. And, you know, Nemec, the young defenseman that got called up after the Dougie Hamilton injury. Jared Spurgeon is still widely available uh, and he started to show signs of heating up over the last four games. So there are a couple of pieces out there. Noah Hannafin is getting some run on the Calgary Flames power play one. Just a couple of names that come to mind in terms of, you know, short term replacements or fill ins from a car for those people facing that. And I mentioned uh, Nemec, the young defenseman, uh, Matty K, you know, brought that up. He had been drafted first or second overall in 2022 by the uh, New Jersey Devils. Well, he was called up after the Dougie Hamilton injury. And unfortunately, Dougie's now been placed on IR and is out indefinitely with a torn pectoral muscle. I looked it up before we signed on as well. There was no timeline in his recovery. Nemec got over 22 minutes time on ice in his first game since the Dougie Hamilton injury, I believe, which was Saturday, uh, Nemec's first game. And Luke Hughes is getting the majority of the power play uh, one time moving forward, which it looks like Nemec actually got some power play time as well. He did. Yeah. Number two. Yeah. So keep an eye on how that kind of flushes out over the next couple of weeks. But I think Luke Hughes is probably going to get the majority of that time. But Nemec looks like he does a little bit of everything. So I would grab him where you can, especially in deep leagues. I hope the Devils are a team that's going to wake up at some point now that, and I want to say that they're fully healthy, but they just got Meyer back and now they've lost Dougie Hamilton long-term. So hopefully their offense can get going, but you, we talked before we signed on, it's not their offense that's hurting them. It is their putrid, disgusting goaltending uh, to start the year. Uh, but I don't want to dig too deep into the uh, devil's goaltending. On to other injuries. Aiden Hill is considered day-to-day uh, with a lower body injury. He left Saturday's game, if I'm not mistaken, uh, as a precaution. And he's not traveling with the team on their two-game road trip that starts the, uh, early this week take that for what it is so logan thompson if you have him 
he'll get the two first two starts of this week and then we'll see what happens with Aiden Hill as the week progresses because Vegas does have four games this week and the first two are on the road and Aiden Hill is not there. Uh, Elias Lindholm of the Calgary Flames is day to day. I didn't really see what was going on there, but he left practice early t- today and he's considered day to day at this point. Uh, obviously, once the show comes out, his status might have changed, but he is day to day. Looks like it's illness. Yeah, it was updated a few hours ago to say it was illness. So hopefully it's short term and he's back. Okay, perfect. And then Alex Tuck, undisclosed, but his status is to be determined. There was supposed to be an update on his status today. I never saw one. It never came out. He did not practice with the team today. So I would just consider him, you know, TBD at this point. And we're waiting for an update from the team on Alex Tuck's outlook on, on, again, he came back for a week after being gone for a week. He's now out again. There better be an update on that help. <laughs> He's been rid- Buffalo doesn't exactly have the greatest history when it comes to player health updates. That past is rather checkered. I really don't want Alex Tuck to turn into this player like because he's been really, really good when he's been on the ice. And then, okay, is he going to play a week? And then he's going to be gone. And then he's going to play a week. I, I have him in a couple spots. It's going to fucking drive me nuts. I'm going to have to trade him in a week that he's healthy just so I don't have to deal with that. So hopefully that's not the case. Uh, on another Buffalo Sabres note, Tage Thompson, although out long term, he is making progress. The latest update from this morning was he was skating on his own, but he's not yet with the team and he's not practicing yet with them. But he's on track for his return, which I believe is is mid-December but it could be as late as early January after the Christmas break. But at least he's back on the ice skating, uh, which is always a good sign. I believe he also he had a lower body injury and a hand injury. So we will see uh, when he comes back and if he can still be as effective as he started to look before the injury. Well, the Sabres are going to need him. They need him to score about 60. They need him to <laughs> hopefully probably play net because they need to figure that out as well. And they can maybe teach Owen Power how to run into another human being while he's out on the ice. I unfortunately think potentially my uh, want and hope for Tage Thompson to break 100 points this year is not happening. Maybe he can come back and be on a 100-point pace, but I don't think he's breaking I think he's going to be the king of the pace, absolutely. <laughs> I have some worries of a few of those first uh, first and second rounders. We'll talk about them in a little bit, but Tage is definitely on that list. My, my hope in the preseason content for this Buffalo Sabres seems to be uh, very much thrown up all over my face and it's just a mitigated disaster at this point other than a few pieces from a fantasy standpoint just a bad situation for the sabers now let's get out of the infirmary and just a couple of interesting uh, storylines around the league Uh, and i'm going to hit the patrick kane watch because we know where he is now he had his first full uh, practice with the red wings uh today he was on line two with jt comfort and his best friend alex debrinkett but the interesting note from that practice and the beat reporters there was David Perron and Lucas Raymond held their spots on power play one with Kane joining the two of them and Dylan Larkin and Shane Gostisbehere on the top power play unit, which bumps the cat, Alex Debrinkat, to power play two for the time being. So something to monitor and watch because Kane is supposed to make his debut at some point this week. That's not great for the Brinkat, who's also slowed in the last few weeks. If he's not going to get power play one, I don't realistically see that 
holding. I would assume he bumps Perron off at some point on PP1. Maybe Raymond, but Raymond has been playing exceptionally good this year. I don't know, you know, out of the two of them, I would probably see Perron coming off the point and getting bumped down to power play too, but just something to monitor there. And then I can't remember who said this was going to happen, but it has happened and I'm not surprised. Christopher Lichtang has come back to where he probably belongs, back where all the chemistry is. He is the current power play one quarterback, at least in practice. I don't know if he was, because the pins are playing tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Are they playing tonight? Yeah, I think they ran both out. I think they ran out a 3-2 for tonight. So he was practicing on power play one. And, and I think you are correct, Matty K. I think they were running both. Oh, yeah. Both. Narrator update, it has not gone well. Not early on. Shocking. I, last time I checked, yeah, they, they – now, again, we, we're actually recording, so I haven't seen where the game may have finished. But I would say a good through the first and, and partway through the, the second, they'd had no shots on goal on the power play. And I believe they'd given up two, if not three, shorthanded – uh, scoring chances. So. And they lost 2-1 two, two in overtime to the Philly. Yikes. They're still ironing it out there. So you are correct. So now Letang is on power play one with Carlson, uh, Crosby, Gensel, and Malkin. Now, if this was like 20, 2017, I would be super amped for this power play. Like, this would be <laughs> sweet if this was five years ago. But it looks like the... At least in the early stages of this adjustment, this has not ignited the offense in Pittsburgh that seems to still be struggling other than Crosby still doing Crosby things. But I think that takes the Van Cab around the league in terms of storylines and injuries for now. So, Matty K, why don't you dive into the first main topic for Quick Ferris tonight? And I'll let, I'm just going to kick back with a little drink here and uh, I'll let you and Jay have a nice discussion on, on this topic and I'll, I'll chime in where I I think I can. Yeah, you fellas get comfortable. We are going to talk about some players this year that have started off ice cold in the shooting department. We are into the quarter mark of the season right now, so everybody's got 20 games under their belt, give or take. So we want to get an understanding of who started off really cold. And I thought it might be interesting as well. We're going to take an honorable mention look back to who really shot the lights out last year and how have they fared so far this year. So we're going to grab about six players um, for the first part and six players uh, for the second part as well. We're going to lead it off with the current Yeti King uh, of the Ice Cold Shooter Mountain, which is Matthew Kachuk. He's got four goals on 95 shots, which is a ice, ice, ice cold 4.2% shooting uh, percentage. He's a career 12.5% shooter. And I, what I wanted to do is add in some sort of relative comparison to listeners to get an understanding of the value where some of these players were taken. Kachuk, obviously, we know he's a first rounder. So I took a very large league that a lot of our listeners are involved with, the Keepin Carlson, uh, their league, uh, five, six hundred, uh, individual managers. And so an aggregate ATP on, on their rankings, as well as an updated scoring gives us a general idea of where somebody was drafted. Uh, and how they're producing so far. So his consensus ADP was seven. Uh, so that was heavy, heavy, heavy draft capital for a player that has struggled early on. Next player we're going to look at is Jordan Cairo on the St. Louis Blues. He's got four goals on 78 shots, which is just a tad over 5%. He's a 12.5% career shooter. 
People picked him up in the third to fourth round. His ADP was 53. So you were certainly not getting great ROI on that investment. OV, the shot king, uh, shot volume actually down a little bit this year. Um, he has got five goals on 78 shots. He's only shooting six and a half percent. His career's 13. Um, interesting thing, 5v5, he's only shooting 5%. Career's average is around 12. His shots per goal per 60 are down a little bit. His power play percentage is comically high. He's literally the number one player in the entire league in terms of power play percentage. It's like 95.5%. Basically, if Washington's on the power play, Ovi's on the ice. He's got one goal on 29 shots on the power play. He's shooting 3.5%. So if that keeps up, that shooting percentage is going to go up a little bit. Hopefully, he gets a little bit closer to that record. Kirill Kaprizov. 72 shots on goal. He's got seven goals so far, which is just a little bit under 10%. He shoots 15 as a career. The reason we're talking about him is he's a volume shooter. Um, his numbers actually look pretty good in terms of 5v5. He's 11% this year versus 8% last year. It's the the production, the, the quantity of his shots that is a little bit alarming. He's down to 9.5 shots per 60 compared to over 11 last year. Um, his power play conversion's okay, but he's got a 92% power play IPP. And a 5v5 IBP is actually quite low. So hopefully the new coach coming in is going to help with some of that 5v5 production. The only thing I worry about that is they do, uh, the new coach does spread the ice time uh, compared to the regime they were under before, which feels to me like it could be a little bit bad for a volume shooter like Cap. We'll sort of see as that comes through. And then I wanted to add a defenseman in here as well. Obviously, they don't shoot on a, on a career percentage nearly as high as forwards do. But we got Zach Wierenski here, who's got one goal on 57 shots, which is like under 2%. He's a career 7% shooter. He's somebody that was drafted in the sixth round sort of range for that shot volume, which is actually down this year. He's got six per game uh, in terms of six shots on goal per 60. He's down from uh, eight uh, last year, actually a little bit over eight. He's got 10 secondary assists of his 18 points. So he's got a goal and 17 assists. 10 of those apples are secondary assists. Not exactly ideal. The team in front of him isn't uh, great in terms of possession. They're a pretty bad Corsi team overall. But he's locked up on line one, power play one while he's healthy. And his shot generation on the point is rare. So somebody to keep an eye on there. What we wanted to take a look at from an honorable mention standpoint was we track this shot volume and, and conversion uh, percentages over the course of the year, and it gives us a good understanding of who's producing right now. But is it something that we want to chase going into a, the following year? So what I wanted to do was pull uh, half a dozen players out. You're going to know these names because we talked about them all last year. And were they a good pick based on the capital you invested for that shooting percentage? So the top of the heap in terms of conversion last year was Andre Kuzmenko on the Vancouver Canucks. He took 153 shots and he scored 39 goals, which is a lofty 27% shooting percentage. This year, he's taken 34 shots on that and he scored four times. And he's been a healthy scratch a few games as well. Uh, but that shooting percentage is down around 11.5, which is significantly lower People drafted him, again, Kakuffel ADP was 126, his current rank is 262, ROI, not so great. Another player, though, that has delivered on this is Braden Point. So Point shot 21.5% last year. 
He scored 51 goals on 235 shots. This year, he's shooting 17%. He's got 12 on 70. He's a career 18% shooter. And I say that a little bit wowed. There's very, very, very few players that have the number of games played uh, that point has with a career shooting percentage that high. So he is a lead in terms of conversion and he's holding up. Uh, he was drafted around 32 and he's currently ranked 16. So we got a number of players here that fit both of these bills. What we really wanted to pull out of that conversation was some of these players that are shooting criminally low in terms of conversion right now are going to be trade opportunities. The subtlety or the nuance comes in you as a manager understanding your league and knowing what it's going to take to make a deal. If you start firing off 40 cents on the dollar offers to Matty Kachuk owners, you're going to get laughed out of your league. When we talk about, and I think this works for fantasy in general, but when we talk about trying to pick somebody up for a steal, somebody for real value, what you're talking about is paying 90 cents for a 100 cent item. What you're talking about is taking something that you paid very little for that has appreciated in value and then swapping it hopefully for this other player. So just when we think, when we talk about this as a community, that is where we are going with this. You are going to have to give up something very good to acquire Matthew Kachuk. His owner isn't stupid. What you need to look at is what's one notch below what I would have had to have given up for him maybe at draft time or in week one and pay that 85 or 90 cents on the dollar to hopefully pick up that great schedule, all of that shot production and what would hopefully be some positive regression uh, somewhere down the line. So fellas, lay it on me. So before before Jay jumps in, because uh, I know this kind of plays into his topic for quick fares tonight, I'm going to go back to your ice cold shooters list because it just triggered in my mind as you were talking there, Matty K. And I'm going to put the three of us on, a, on the spot. You can only pick one guy from this list. Who, who are you riding with that's going to bounce back and, you know, be the player that we thought they were and get closer to their, you know, career, not only their career shooting percentage, but start to produce uh, on a more regular clip fantasy wise. And people can be more comfortable with, you know, not trading low or selling high or what might you might in terms of name brand or name selling on their name. Who are you riding with that's bouncing back here, Matty K? I feel Kachuk's the layup just because the, the current results are so low and we know what those volume stats look like. The thing is, like I said, you're not going to get him for, for any sort of discount. Anybody that's invested what they have in him is holding him because they're the core of their team. So like you're going to have to give up something good. The way I equated to would be somebody that, and, and I wouldn't use this particular player because he's just, he's number one in my league, but think of a guy like JT Miller where somebody drafted in the third, fourth, fifth round, depending on your settings, or maybe even later, and in some cases is is the number one player in your league. I'm not saying you trade that guy, but what I mean is that type of value appreciation is what you have to cash in on. Otherwise, it doesn't have any value to you other than what he's putting into your fantasy team, but as an asset to acquire other players, you're not capitalizing on that high watermark. Does anybody in this room feel JT Miller's going to finish off the year Player one? No. <laughs> no. I love the guy and I don't think he's going to. But that's the hard part. What do I trade him for and when do you trade him? 
That's yeah, a great point. But uh, like, I think, I think Ma- Mike Matty T, like you said, is the layup. But for me, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw an honorable mention in with him before Jay gets to pick his guy. And Jay, you can ride with me. You can ride with Matty K on on Matty T. But it's it's Kaprizov and his boy Matt Boldy. Like they are both like they are so down in mom's deep freezer like that whole team like i just don't like their goaltending is suspect gustafson's been better the last three starts okay that's a good sign power play's been marginally better over the last week decent sign but kaprizov and boldy are still not scoring i got to believe like boldy's still shooting at 7.3% and like you said, Matty K, you know, Kaprizov is only shooting at 9.7. That, that's Those are both going to come back up. Like, they have to because Minnesota needs them to score. Matt Boldy is going to look at you in the eyes and tear your own heart out of your chest and eat it in front of you. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> but... I'm gonna I'm, Kaprizov. I have some. I'm gonna say some. some faith. I'm gonna say something for Matt Boldy because he was oh, he was off to a very slow start last year, and in the second half of last year he was torridly hot. So I'm I'm a hold faith. I'm only holding him in one spot. He's still one of my guys. I still believe in him. Let's go. I want him to bounce back, but it's got to be for like a 50 goal score and a 35 goal score. Don't just disappear of their you know, credibility and skill level. And yes, I know they're not playing it with each other right now at even strength, but somebody's going to correct that at some point. And I agree with you, Matty K. I do not like what the new coach is doing in terms of time on ice. It's kind of gross. But if LA and, and the Kraken and other teams that roll all their lines in a similar fashion can figure out how to score, then elite players like Kaprizov and Boldy are going to figure it out. And then I'm just going to do one more honorable mention, and then, Jay, it's all yours. Don't you talk about Jared McCann like that, okay? He should have been protected by the Toronto Maple Leafs long ago in the expansion draft. He's still on a 37-goal pace. He's probably still going to score 40. He's really the only consistent scorer for the Kraken, period. Yes, his shooting percentage is coming down from last year, but that's... He's still over-delivering. 100%. He's one of the guys that actually is over-delivering in terms of what he was paid for. He is an elite finisher, period. And guess what? Remember, Jay, we protected Hall instead of McCann in that expansion (laughs) draft. And what did we do in the playoffs that year? We struggled to score because we had no secondary scoring. But that's cool. That's another topic for another day. But Jay, go for it. I looked at this list and I couldn't believe my eyes, right? Like, when do you actually see somebody's shots and goals be so aligned that you can immediately do the math in your head without needing a calculator, right? Like, 4% conversion rate on 95 shots? Like, I looked at some of these standings and records and, I guess, like, stats even just on a fantasy level, and I just thought, I just thought that... These look so wayward and so off from what I'd normally expect a, you know, like uh, standings to look like, right? Like, what is Philip Forsberg and what are Frank Vetrano? Like, what are they doing up there? Also, it's a strange thing to realize, but did you know that JT Miller has only shot 56 times this entire season? I didn't know that, but it 
with his 13 goals, it seems now that he's converting at a 23% pace. Like, that's that's insane. That that shouldn't. I don't know. It's Matty K. Correct me if you watch this team more than I do, but that shouldn't happen. Like I say, it can stay irrational longer than we think it can. So I, I'm done kind of arguing that point other than just, you know, expect the unexpected. The one guy, I almost changed my layup. Matty T, obviously, it, you know, is a layup for the reasons we mentioned. But very, very, very close behind him, Jordan Cairo. I was going to go that way, except for, okay, this guy is on the ice all the time in St. Louis. He's got a 55% share of the power play. And he gets over three minutes of power play time per game. Do you know he has zero goals on seven shots? Seven power play shots on goal. So I saw that 78 shot number and his four goals. You think positive aggression. What on earth is happening on a power play where you're on the ice three minutes a game for upwards of 20 games in the season and you have seven shots on goal? The simple answer is the St. Louis Blues offense is a mirage. That is, that is, has been that way for multiple years. They've, they rotate through their power play. They rotate through their top six in terms of minutes and who plays with who on the wings in terms of who's with Shen and who's with Rob Thomas. It's a mirage, right? And, and I think that's what makes their offense so inconsistent because they're always trying to play this system of, defensive structure hockey first and try to figure out how to score afterwards so i think that's what makes and like i think i even said this on a on a recent week preview like i it's a team i tend to stay away from because i don't like the inconsistency and the the cold spells of buchnevich and kairu and i don't even want to get into rob thomas but even Braden shen like it drives me insane like they should be it's a stream team exclusively from Sammy Blay to all these guys. And what, two out of, at least two out of the four, if not three out of the four, should, on a team that actually deploys their top six, you know, I'm not going to say correctly, but effectively, should be close to a point per game on every single, you know, year after year, but they're not, right? Like, Navis and Kairou are probably the closest two, but they're like 70, 75 point players if they run hot for the majority of the season. You know, Rob Thomas... I maybe has a little bit more of a higher ceiling than Braden Shen, but both of them are kind of 60, 65 point players. But like, that's, that's to me, like St. Louis's offense is a mirage. That's the biggest confusion. And then, you know, I love that you threw my boy Zach Rowinski in there. This man has double digit goals five times in his career. Yes, the Blue Jackets look like they struggle to score every second game, but if he can stay healthy, 10 goals, 11 goals, 12 goals is not out of the question. He even has a 20-goal season under his belt. Yes, that was four years ago, but he's done it five times in his career in the game, in the seasons where he's played more than 60 games. So it's not like he needs to play 82 to play, to score double-digit goals. He just needs to score play more than 60, and he's going to be right there as a, you know, as you said, a premium shot producer from the defensive spot, which is very hard to find. And like you look at a, a regression player in Brent Burns, like I don't even know what's happened to Brent Burns this year <laughs> other than his deployment is garbage. He's not even shooting at the same rate anymore. And 
So that, that takes another defenseman that was a premium shooter, like shots on goal coverage person in fantasy off the table. So there's not many of them left that actually shoot in the 200 plus shots on goal per season like Rowinski does. So I love, I love that spot for, in terms of looking at a defenseman, but Jay's, Jay's got his thinking cap on. So I'm going to let him run. I'm going to let him take the wheel, take the wheel, Jay. The only other shooting percentage on your list, Matty K, that stands out, and I completely stand with Craig on this one, is Zach Wierenski scored once with 57 shots. That almost seems harder than scoring accidentally once or twice with 57. Like, that can't stay 1.75, right? That's, no. Look, I think think from a Columbus standpoint, and I would think you guys would agree with me because I know their fans would agree with me, if you really want Rowinski to push his ceiling, you want Boone Jenner to push his ceiling, you really want Fantilli to break out, Patrick Laine and Johnny Goudreau need to take their heads and remove them from said ass and start being the elite players that they're supposed to be because they have been putrid to start to start the year and i don't know what you guys but they are on multiple wires in my leagues right now both of them because they've both been and this is one of them is a fantasy unicorn he's tri eligible <laughs> and he's on the waiver wire and he's supposed to be a 40 goal scorer but like until one of them wakes up i think it 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 pushes the floor of that entire team offensively down regardless of what their younger players are doing to support them scoring and what the Kings doing in net. But like, I think that's what's arguably holding Rowinski and the likes of Boone Jenner back in terms of pushing their offensive ceiling is because they don't have the offensive support right now. I'm going to say this too, though, like Maddie, Maddie could check like that, that same description I was describing. And, I, and I, Craig, I'm going to say, I agree with you, right? Like Zach Rowinski is kind of being let down, right? And so, hey, like 57 shots, you only get a goal. Sure, you can put it in other ways, but you you got, you got have to think that, one, that's going to regress hard the other way, but two, his teammates have to regress as well. That, that can't be acceptable, so to speak, just for Johnny Gaudreau to go around with 24 minutes on ice and just freely, as, as Alan would describe it, have a free skate, like... You are the guy. You are the dude in Columbus. You got to fucking play like it. <laughs> um, I'm going to say this too. I was looking at some of the other stats, right? And like if you were just to, let's say, adjust your team settings based, not, sorry, not your team settings, but adjust your player rankings um, based on shots on goal. Like you lose those Philip Forsbergs, you lose those Evander Canes and Vetranos and. It, the list looks way cleaner and more traditional based on how you would, I guess, see team players' values, all those things. Uh, Kucherov, Pasternak, McKinnon, Eichel, uh, Nylander, and still Forsberg, which is kind of incredible, but Matty Kay, Austin Matthews. They're not sorted based on how many points they've gotten. They're sorted based on how many shots they've made. And when you think of it like that, then... I don't think there's any other player on that list than Matty Kachuk, simply because who else is going to score except a player who's shot on goal, right? You can't score without shooting. Maybe 
maybe it's famous last words if Joe Pavelski ever tips in like 40 goals. But generally speaking, unless you're the guy at the point taking those shots, taking those slap shots, who who else is going to possibly racket and ratchet up the list? It's only going to be the players that have conversion rates that finally match their career percentages. And because all those shots that are getting you fantasy points turn into goals, then you have the, I guess, accelerated blasts up the ladders. And I don't think, honestly, of any other, any other guy. Like, there's Cole Caulfield, sure, maybe. He shoots a ton, too. I do see the value with Ovechkin, especially with this team being now playoff relevant. Maybe that team is going to hover around, and at the end of the day, it's just going to be Ovi's office anyway. They're going to keep feeding it off to Ovi every single time. You know he's going to play both power plays. You'd expect, if nothing else, that Ovi with a six, six and a half conversion rate, that's gonna that's gonna get better. I find it very interesting that it took us 10 minutes before we even talked about Ovechkin, and <laughs> they are getting absolutely obliterated tonight by the Arizona Coyotes, and he only has 14 minutes time on ice through two and only three shots on net. Like, I agree with you, Jay. I think the runtime, the offense has to eventually filter through him. But I don't know, guys. There might be something, I'm not going to say wrong with Ovechkin, but like, we've seen it in the past with the, you know, the Russian born superstars. As they get to a certain age, they start to kind of, the effort level starts to kind of fall off and they kind of just like, do the the Phil Kessel coast between the blue lines and uh, and try to wait for that breakout past? Well, Ovi has to save his energy up for all that power play. <laughs> he plays one minute and fifty nine seconds out of every two minute power. I play. was going to say this too. This sounds very targeted for uh, Tarasenko, but maybe there's more other stars that are targeted for this as well. The the big setup as well is just I I don't think the Capitals are I, I don't think the Capitals would ever bench Ovi simply and purely because they know that Ovi breaking Gretzky's record is gonna be what puts butts in seats for the next three years two years four years I don't, depends how long it takes right but simply seeing Ovechkin break the record I think would be enough to put any butt in a seat for the next little bit so. I think purely on that basis, I think Ovi is going to be Ovi's going to be given free reign to do whatever the heck he decides to do. Okay, so mine was actually tied a little bit into Maddie K's point. So uh, look into your schedule. The big thing with your schedule as well is make sure you have Boston, Dallas, Florida, Ottawa, or Philly. Get any and all of those players from week 10 onwards, mainly for the idea that I know that Ottawa has had a crazy, terrible schedule for the first first several weeks. Basically, what, 2-2-2? Two, two, two. And then they even had a one-game week at a certain point. But now, you, Senator or owner, you've dealt with the pain. You've dealt with the loss. You're going to roll through in clear skies with three-game weeks and more for the rest of the season. Here I was, actually, on my main topic. I was basically here to say there are values to two game weeks and when I say values to two game weeks and play I was playing the devil's advocate to Maddie K's point the biggest thing I would say at the end is 
Look at your own lineups from previous seasons and check how many players actually stay on your roster throughout the season. I think you'd be very surprised. I would say in an average lineup, you have what? Roughly, let's say 15 players, 16 players. I don't think actually you end up with the exact same. One, you're never going to end up with the exact same lineup by the end of the season. And if you are, you're pretty unlikely to have won the league. And the second one is if you have your, I guess, core set up, everyone else passed... What number could it be? And it really depends on how deep your league is, but do you think your top 10 roster spots out of your 15 or 16 are locked in? I would say, if anything, you could probably scuff that up maybe even to your top 8, maybe even your top 7, and that means actually almost half your lineup, half your roster is malleable is droppable, is addable, is reserved for editing. And when you think of it in that perspective, having teams with two game weeks are incredible. You kind of don't want that setup where your entire team plays three games in a week because then you're forced to make tough, hard drop, add positions. And further, if you drop a team with three games in that week, there's a half-decent high chance that the next week... Maybe they're going to skew on and they'll have a heavy weekend. Maybe the player you dropped, you might lose for good for the rest of the season. Whereas, if you dropped a player in an upcoming two-game week, unless they're too good of a player that you shouldn't have dropped anyway, pretty half-decent chance you're going to have them still around if they have an upswing week the week following. So, my main topic is, you're never going to know. Because the real thing is, hindsight is 2020. You'll only know if you should have dropped them or if you shouldn't have dropped them at the end of the season when you see their point totals. But with your limited knowledge as a manager right now, all you really can check is, does that schedule work? Does it not? If it doesn't, then you can drop. For context, and obviously this is currently, we are currently in week nine in the 23-24 season. Let's imagine two hypothetical players, okay? And I know in this hypothetical, you would never drop the player with a two-game schedule that I'm just about to name. But just to give context to how how a schedule can skew a week. So let's go with the Edmonton Oilers. Let's go with the best player on that team, Connor McDavid. Um, You can't drop him in some leagues simply because he's on the can't cut list. Um, But let's say you could. Let's say you're not in that league and you could have dropped him. Let's pick a random other player that played four games this past week. Jake Wallman, okay? He's, he's, he's a good player. You know, he gets good deployment. He's just, you know, not the best player on his team, and he's actually not, you know, he's not owned up, right? I checked, I think, like, in, in a bunch of leagues. like he's, he's, owned a, he's owned in some, but mostly on the waiver wire. If you had played Connor McDavid, and he had very good games in the, in the two games he played, and you were in a points league, you would still have been better off, surprisingly, playing and getting the points from Jake Wallman. Just as a random example here, which is kind of mind-blowing to consider and think about. Actually, come to think of it, I think Jake Wallman might have only played three games, which is kind of nutty and insane to consider that in three games he outperformed a two-game McDavid. But just consider that if you have four games on a player that's at a replaceable level as Jake Wallman in a week, you have, you can, you have a guy that can outproduce McDavid in a good week simply because McDavid's playing two games. So in redraft leagues, obviously, but in leagues where you have the opportunity to grab a player playing an extra game, do so. 
And you kind of only get that if you have a player that you can equivocally drop in the same vein, which is why I know we harp on the two-game weeks, but look for and almost hope for some players that are at the Jake Wallman level, at the replaceable level that you are comfortable dropping and letting go on a two-game week. And do it. Get used to it. One of those examples I like to think about is uh, right now, the Edmonton Oilers are struggling, but they're still on like four-game win streak, right? Like they're they're doing they're doing things at the same time as obviously they're still languishing at the bottom of the standings. Where is Nugent Hopkins? He's playing all those top line minutes, getting all that top line power play time. Where is he? He's still hovering, I think, outside. Maybe, maybe might have just broke 200, top 200 in terms of skaters. You might have spent top 40 draft capital to get him. That's a terrible return on investment. And truthfully, had you known right now, would you have drafted Ryan Nugent Hopkins at that level? I don't think you would have. But if you wouldn't have taken him knowing his current thing, why are you afraid to drop him if you needed to? And I think in some ways, we are still in 22-23 thought process and thinking. And maybe... Nugent Hopkins is going to completely come around and make me eat my words. But in a week where the Oilers are only going to play two games, you don't want to drop them when they're on the upswing, playing tons of games. You want to drop them, if anything, on the doubtful moments. And it's hard to know because there is no guarantee. And maybe, maybe truthfully, at the end of the day, Ryan Nugent Hopkins comes back to earth he screams back up. Maybe he gets to top 80, top 70, and I eat shit, right? But on the other hand, right now, looking at that play, looking at that schedule, these tough decisions early on in the season can make or break the season. And now, fellas, this is the question. Where would you stand if you had, let's say, Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Where would you stand if there was Jonathan Huberdo? Would you err on the side of holding or would you err on the side of dropping? Well, I mean, we've hit sunk cost fallacy a couple times over the last few weeks. So I think it's very different uh, depending on what you invested into that player. You know, Huberto is an example, but any player would really work in this. The two most difficult things to do are going to be to cut your losses on a player that's not helping your team. And the second and might actually be the harder thing to do is to sell a high performing asset to obtain a high quality return. It is really, really, really difficult to sell winners. It's hard to do it in finance and it's really hard to do it in fantasy. So I think people can, can, um, everybody can appreciate the feeling of cutting bait with a, a Matt Boldy, as we joke about on this pod, but, but seriously, cutting bait with that player, just being like, Ugh, I'm done. That's it. I don't have to think about this anymore. It's a lot harder to say, when do I press the sell button on the guy I drafted in the third round? That's, you know, rank nine and, and could really bring me back an asset, maybe like a Matty Kachuk, like we were talking about that could help my team win. Not, you're not trying to just win the first 30 games of the season. Nobody gets a championship after week nine. This is the building block to what's going to happen later in the season. And to, to Jay's point earlier in the episode, your roster is not going to look the same, right? Core of it will for sure. A lot of the periphery is going to change. So you have to constantly know who are the, who's the marginal player on my roster. 
who's the marginal defenseman, who's the marginal forward, in some cases, who's the marginal goalie. And you want to constantly be tinking with, with the periphery. The less amount of your pick and draft energy and, and waiver wire energy you have to spend on tinkering with your core, the more successful you're going to be. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I think it's simple for me. It's know your league. So you know what's going to happen if you put somebody of value, regardless of schedule, back on the waivers. Two, the taxi squad does not endorse this message of any time, any place dropping Connor McDavid at any point. (laughs) As a reminder. Please don't think that came through in any way whatsoever. It was only a simple scenario that Jay was putting forward. He was not endorsing dropping Connor McDavid. But. As I drop a joke in there, it is know your league, know your GMs that are in your league and what will happen if you do drop somebody of value. Know where they rank in your scoring of your league if you need to drop them to make space. And we were talking about this before. I'm a maniac when it comes to ads and drops and all those things, but I do rely on my core like the majority of us do. But you also need to know the currency within your league. And by currency, I mean, is it players that people are coveting? Is it draft picks because it's a long-running league? Is it redraft? So if it's redraft, you've got to look. If you really believe in somebody that's going to either bounce back or they're running too hot and you don't think that it's going to maintain, you have to go for two for ones, three for twos, four for twos. You have to put value in those deals for the other GM to even consider relinquishing high value assets to your team. And then my final thought on this, Jay, is simply this. And I've had this conversation over the last two weeks with several listeners. Go with your gut. Sometimes that is all we have in this crazy landscape that is fantasy hockey, because it is at the end of the day, it's unpredictable at the end of the day, I was saying this to actually my wife uh, and her, my brother-in-law uh, last night because we were talking about this podcast and I said, and they're not in the fantasy hockey world. My brother-in-law asked me a question and it was kind of like, and it kind of goes with this thought process is, so if he was building a team, what would I tell him? I said, well, you got to go with your gut. You've got to not be afraid to steer away from name, name recognition only if it strengthens your team and you have to understand when track record and under the hood analytics don't align. Okay. Because numbers, yes, as much as they can dictate what a player should be, it doesn't necessarily mean that's what they are and what they will become. It's what you would hope they are and what the mathematical numbers behind that would say they should be, but track record can sometimes overvalue what the in-season analytics are showing. You know, Matty K, you were talking in the Discord today about Sam Bennett, okay? He came back from injury. He's off to a little bit of a hot start, but this is a player that I temper expectations on for anybody, Yes, he fills the stat sheet from category coverage. He has never scored more than 55 points in a season. Regardless of what the under the hood says, if he should be a point per game player or not, maybe he should be, but he's never done it. And it's the same with your man 
and the leading scorer, goal scorer in the NHL right now, Brock Besser, he's still shooting 25.8%. Okay, yes, he's had out to an outstanding and unbelievable start. And he's on like a 65 goal pace right now with 17 goals right now. But he's never done that. So there has to be a balance of understanding of what's possible versus what is and what was. And they all can be building blocks, like you said, Matty K, to help you eventually make a decision that you have to lean on those education factors. But then you have to go with your gut as well, right? Like, yeah, you need both of those things. I mean, just categorically, fantasy sports in general and fantasy hockey specifically would suck if it was math only. I mean, that that's not what the stats are there to do. The stats are there to give you conviction for the predictions that you feel are most likely, the outcomes that you're most likely uh, to uh, to see with those players. So, and and no argument should really be, you know, the entirety of your position shouldn't just be a table told me that this is what's going to happen with that player because it's a dynamic game with human beings playing it and the predictability of that is very, very, very difficult. So we need to match that up with that eye test. So um, I'm all for advanced stats and analytics. I think they're they're very useful, but you should it you should before anybody uses a stat in a in a conversation in a chat group whatever it is you better be able to explain what you're saying 100% and and if you're in you're in a league where people don't care about that like don't bring that into your no- negotiations to strengthen your team because the gms is going to be like i have no idea what that means like i see name brand and i see current ranking in terms of output of these players right and you guys can th- that's right you, anybody can make up stats 70 percent of people know you that. guys can think of the gms <laughs> in your your home leagues and stuff like that that are like that they look at like this guy's ranked 20 20th overall in scoring well if you don't offer me somebody in and around that same value i'm not even having this conversation right with you in terms of buy low sell high types of things so you definitely have to know your league and you have to understand how to approach strengthening your roster through trades because you the three of us were talking about this before we signed on the waiver wires in the deeper leagues and those things like that are getting real shallow so you got to start looking at opportunities like you said maddie to look for trade opportunities to strengthen those weaknesses in in your in your team while also keeping one or two spots from a streaming perspective but no okay so let's dive in here a little bit and let's do you know, one of the five hole staples and let's do a little hot guy check-in. So Matty K, why don't you give the people some hot guy check-ins that we were looking at? Yeah, let's check out a couple hot guys here. We got four players lined up. The first of which is on fire. Matt Barzell of the New York Islanders. He's center right wing, 75% owned on Yahoo. He's got eight points in his last four. He's on 105 point pace this year. The thing with Barzell is his shot volume is way up. He's 3.3 shots per game this year versus a career average of 2.2, literally 50% higher in terms of the volume uh, of shots he's taking. He's got 14 points in his last nine. And in those last nine games, he's got four multi-point games. He plays a ton of hockey in all situations. The Islanders are quietly power play number nine in the league. 
They got three play three games coming up this week. They're all on heavy nights. Barzell's the core of that team. If you have them and you own them with that deployment and dual eligibility, you're probably getting him in the lineup, but stay in the flames with Matt Barzell. He is firing the puck this year. The one part of his game that he had been lacking uh, the last few years, really at least through the first 20 games this year, seems to be picking up nicely. So another player we're going to look at, uh, Mikhail Grandlin, center for the San Jose Sharks. He's only 5% owned uh, on Yahoo. He's line one, power play one, and he is eating a ton of minutes. He's playing over 21 minutes a game, over three minutes of that on the power play. He's got six points in his last four, two goals and four apples, and he brings some peripherals too. He's got 10 shots, five hits and a block. They play three games this week, one off night. Dawson Mercer of the New Jersey Devils center right wing. You're getting a theme here with the center right wings. Uh, he's 33% owned and climbing. He's got six points in his last four with three goals. He's playing line one with Jack Hughes and Tyler Toffoli at even strength. So while he is on power play two, which only gets about 30% of the share in New Jersey, what you are buying here is proximity to Jack Hughes now that he's back and healthy and doing Jack Hughes alien things. And that's a huge bump for Dawson Mercer's ceiling for as long as he's able to stay uh, on line one playing with those players at even strength. And the last player we're going to talk about Hawkeye check-in is the ageless wonder himself, Joe Pavelski. Once again, center right wing uh, on the Dallas Stars. He's 95% owned. Line one, power play one. He's got 12 points in his last nine, including four power play points. He's got shots, 22, hits, eight, blocks, six. He's on an 89-point pace this year, shooting 20%. Temper that a bit. But again, this guy just continues to defy the odds. The last two years, he's played 82 games in 82 games. He scored 77 points in 81 points. He's on the exact same pace to do that this year, even with a little bit of a pullback uh, in his uh, conversion rate. He's an Iron Man. He's a beast. Uh, hopefully, you have Joe Pa in your lineup. All right, Jay, take us through your hot guy check-in. Let's go. It's... Basically, just go look over Jake Neighbors. I know right now uh, it's it's a battle between him and Jordan Cairo right now to see who gets more of the line share power play time and line one time. From the last game, it looks like actually like Cairo came back and stormed back and snagged some minutes, but remains to be seen, right? Like Jake Neighbors, as of now, he's roaring red hot. I would not expect to see all these... Uh, you know, he definitely fills up and stuffs the stat sheet. But the main one is scoring, right? He was scoring the past few games, so remains to be seen. If he doesn't get that same deployment, maybe it dries up. One guy who crewing a bunch of points, but he's not necessarily on the score sheet, is the same guy, Jake Wallman. My goodness, 13 blocks over the past week? Check him out. See what's going on under the hood over in Detroit, because that team is somehow third in the Atlantic right now. Heck, let's see. Patrick Kane watch. Hey, Wallman just had a three-point night and scored the overtime winner on Saturday, if I don't if I'm not mistaken. And he did the an amazing gritty after he scored, too, which was I outstanding. Did see that. They're doing a bobblehead with that for him <laughs> on the gritty. The uh, the PR team is on point. I can't believe again, we talked about St. Louis and how they just spread everything around. Honestly, they're the relay team of hockey. <laughs> We, if we have a Hawkeye check-in and we have 20 weeks in the season, I bet you we talk about a St. Louis Blue for 15 of those weeks. Only it's never going to be the yeah, same St. Louis Blue. Guy, it's uh, neighbors for a week and a half. And then Buchnevich comes out of hibernation and he scores five goals in four games. And everyone's like, oh, Buch is back. And then he goes quiet for three weeks. And 
It's a goddamn it's nightmare. It's the mirage of the St. Louis Blues. They will catch you in their net, and then they will punt you out into the world, and you'll be so confused as to what happened. You'll be like, oh my god, this team is so offensively gifted, and then they'll disappear. But it's interesting to sign off. I'm just going to do some honorable mentions, and they're either they're under-rostered players, and I looked at both from the Taxi Squad Listener League scoring standpoint and Cupful's uh, Tier 8 scoring standpoint. They are all inside the top 100 in terms of output or inside the top 70 players uh, within those two leagues. And they are all 70% or less owned. So these are what we were talking about kind of throughout this episode of value above replacement, guys that could strengthen your roster now that might be available for you, regardless of prime schedule or not, but look to be on a sustainable pace based on what they've done for the first eight weeks, now eight and a half weeks of the season by the time this roster comes out. So honorable mention, Hawkeye check-ins, Ryan O'Reilly of the Nashville Predators, Trevor Moore of the LA Kings, Brock Nelson of the New York Islanders, the mirage that is the St. Louis Blues and their lead singer, Robert Thomas, Ilya Tolvanen, one of the beauty coverage men, men of the year in the league right now of the Seattle Kraken. Charlie Coyle potentially looks like a upgrade to David Krejci in Boston. Owen Tippett, who is finally showing signs of life, but I wish Torts would give this man some sustainable ice time like he was giving in the second half of last year. And then I think you really see what Owen Tippett should be. Oliver Bjorkstrand from the Seattle Kraken as well has taken some opportunity from the Andre Barakowski injury and he's put it into sustainable production and he looks much more like the player he was two years ago in Columbus than what he looked like in his first year with the Kraken and the young stalwart line one center for the the Montreal Canadiens. He's been very consistent this year. Looks to be on that 70 to 75 point pace that he has been able to produce over the last two years. But that there you have it, folks. We've got another quick fares in the books. That's a lot of hot guys to check out. That's what we like to do. We like to check out hot guys here on the Taxi Squad and see how many we can fit into the van cab with us. But I hope this uh, information as you uh, listen to it in the coming days has uh, helped you all get a little bit of better at fantasy hockey and I know there's a lot in there there's a lot of juice to be squeezed from this episode of quick squares but we thank you as always for joining us we we will be back uh, very soon with the week nine weekend preview and then Maddie K will rejoin us on the week 10 preview and Maddie K will also be on back with the van cab all week next week as always we thank you for listening please like and subscribe wherever you get your fine podcasts give us five stars uh if you are not already in there please join us in the five hole fantasy hockey discord it's 2500 like-minded fantasy hockey individuals talking all things fantasy hockey uh literally all the time 24 7 and There's a whole bunch of life in general topics getting tossed out there as well on a regular basis. Uh, It's a lot of fun. Uh, You can find the four of us in there all the time trying to help wherever we can, whether that's through the Taxi Squad hotline or the Thursday mailbag channel or even the episode discussion. We're always available to help you with any of your fantasy hockey questions. 
Follow the four of us on Twitter. You can find our handles uh, in the show notes. Sorry, I meant follow us all on X. I'm supposed to call it that now. If you haven't already and you are new at hockey, fantasy hockey or you're new at running your own league, please jump in uh, with Mike Rogerson. Rog, he's got a sister channel, uh, the Fantasy Hockey Guide, out there and available. It's a limited series to help those new into the fantasy hockey world and those new to running their own league. So please check that out and subscribe and like and give Rog and his uh, fine material five stars wherever you get your fine podcasts and Jay, we'll turn off the fares. Boys, let's park the van cab. Uh, Great stuff as always. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. And the Taxi Squad will be back very soon. Good night, everybody. It's all love. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate all listeners. We'll talk to you later. We'll pick you up later.